Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to Owning It, the bullshit-free anxiety podcast with me, your host and author, Caroline Foran. So I hope you enjoyed the first episode. It was a bit of a brain dump on my part, um, but that's the hard bit done and that's the more negative bit out of the way. And now you'll be glad to hear we can get a lot more proactive, a lot more positive and really start to lift the fog of anxiety bit by bit. Now in owning it, the book or own it, if you're listening in America, I do have one auntie there, so you know, she might be tuning in. I put forward quite a large but simple strategy for managing or owning anxiety that I call the assess and address technique. It's actually really funny because when I was getting the edits ready for the book to come out in America, which is happening in spring, my editor there was like, I'm not sure about the word assess because when I read it, I just see asses. For anyone who's unsure, this is not about your bottoms. It's about assessing anxiety. So it's the assess an address technique and it's what got me out of the hellhole I was in and it's what I return to again and again anytime I feel a little bit of anxiety rising. So the first part is again not asses but to assess what's going on uh, looking at not just what anxiety is and what's going on in our bodies and our, and our minds but getting clarity on where you are right now and why you personally might be experiencing anxiety because something that I experienced was feeling like it just came at me like a freight train. Um, but there's usually a reason for it. So assess is where we are for the first few episodes of this podcast. And while you might be listening, thinking like, oh, for fuck's sake, would she ever just tell me what to do? This is part of it. So this assessment part is, is so unbelievably important. I cannot overstate that. It's a tool in itself. It's educational. And as we know, uh, knowledge is power and there is just no use throwing the kitchen sink at your anxiety. I want to save you the anguish of doing that, trying this and that without first beginning by understanding it. I just wish I had a started there myself. So hopefully you can learn from my mistakes. So to help me begin the work of assessing anxiety this week, I'm joined by Dr. Claire Kambametu. She's a former Rose of Tralee, actually. A little bit of trivia for you there. You may recognise her from that. I think it was 2010 she was crowned Rose of Tralee. She's a total ride. But she's also, she's a new friend of mine. And we've been appearing together at the Bio events all around Ireland uh, with Darren and Avian Garrahy. I'm sure you'll know them. And I just really like her vibe. She just has a good energy. But more relevant to the podcast, obviously, um, she's a clinical psychologist and not in an intimidating way. She's like a regular person. Obviously, every psychologist is still a regular person, but she just gets it and she just talks so much sense. And that's what we need. We need clarity. We need sense. We don't need no bullshit. Um, and I'm honoured to have her shed some light on the assess part of owning it, or as I call it in the book, the what the fuck is going on with me part. Now, not being anywhere near as crass as me, she's a real lady, Claire calls it psychoeducation. So for this episode, prepare to be psychoeducated, but not in an overwhelming way. She also has an incredibly soothing voice. I could listen to her all day. 
So this episode should at the very least have an anxiolytic effect just by listening to it. And if you're unsure what that means, anxiolytic is just a fancy word for something that reduces anxiety. So I'm always, always keen on anything anxiolytic. It's probably my favourite word. So I sat down with Claire to look back at my own experience of anxiety, but through her more professional, clear psychology lens. This episode is all about unpacking exactly what anxiety is, why it happens to us, how normal it is to experience. And that's just so important that you realise how normal it is and how you're not actually gone mad. We talk about the fear of the fear. We talk about CBT, which is something that I'm such a fan of, cognitive behavioural therapy, and Claire explains it so well. So if it's something that you've been hearing about, but you're not sure really what it is or find it a bit confusing, and you're wondering whether it's something that would help you, you'll enjoy that part. Uh, But ultimately, Claire and I discuss the absolute non-negotiable place to start on your road to owning it, which, annoyingly for you, is all about acceptance. My name is Dr. Claire Campometu and I'm a clinical psychologist. Uh, And what that means is that I work with people who experience uh, challenges in relation to their mental health. Uh, So over the last number of years, I've worked with uh, young people, uh, so kids really, under the age of 18, and then adults as well, from 18 upwards. Um, I suppose on a day-to-day basis, the kind of things that I would do with people is hear their story and understand how they've reached the point that they've reached and then try and figure out how for them as an individual they might go forward um, in terms of helping themselves to feel a little bit happier um, or even just to be in a place of acceptance with what's going on for them. You've heard my story and we've been on the BO panel together a few times. Mm -hmm. Um, Hearing my experience of anxiety, which I thought was, uh, I was on my own for as a professional, because it's so normal to you to hear what I'm saying. In lots of ways it is. I mean, everybody has their own unique story um, and their own unique pathway to winding up feeling anxious but anxiety is a really normal emotion for all of us I don't know if you've seen that movie Inside Out but uh, oh yeah actually it gave me anxiety (laughs) I was like I can't deal with this Uh, I think I was in a bad wave at the time when it came out Mm. and I was like I need to get out of my head yes yeah and it's not it's all about being inside your head but one of the things that I really like about it is that it talks about those basic emotions and fear is one of the things that we're born with we feel it from the second we're born and it's very helpful because when we feel fear or we feel anxious it's our body and our mind's way of saying wait a second there's something here that is a bit of a threat um so people might have that experience of feeling threatened for a number of different reasons and it's really normal to feel that growing up and to feel frightened to feel anxious whether it's about tests or about friends or about something that's going on at home um and then i suppose what can happen for people is that uh, when they go through that experience, especially as a younger person, and they're maybe trying to figure out what their feelings are, if the people around them, uh, so teachers and parents and friends, don't know very much about what they're feeling, they're left with this feeling that what they feel is really, really bad. And that creates an extra layer then, because not only are they maybe worried about something in particular or just feeling anxious, but then they're also feeling anxious about being anxious. Like for me, I suppose I've struggled to understand why anxiety was an issue for me as a kid when you know looking back I came from like a relatively normal Mm -hmm. family and I'd you know good friends and my brother was great to me and and I did well in school and I couldn't really find any reason is it just a natural sort of disposition towards it or well we're all born with a different temperament so temperament is something that we inherit it's biological and genetically inherited trait so it might be that one of our parents or maybe one of our parents parents has had a more anxious temperament um, so it's something that as a, as a kid we might just feel a little bit more than other people and then I suppose it also depends on how uh, people around us respond to that anxiety and that fear and all parents I mean every parent wants to be the best parent of course they do um, and the majority of parents are good enough parents which is exactly what we need kids mm. to have but every parent will find something that they're not able to do because they're not superheroes at the end of the day and I suppose the important thing for for kids is with those basic emotions that they feel is to have this thing called containment where they learn through their parents response to their feeling that this emotion that they have is really normal and it's okay and it's not going to kill them 
Um, so I suppose that's a thing that can sometimes happen for people. If they're more biologically anxious and then they're experiencing a lot of anxiety, one of the things I know that can make it worse than in the teenage years is not having that containment, not having learned that sense either through parents or through teachers or somebody older than them, that this is just a feeling and it'll be okay. And not even knowing that it's anxiety in the not first place. Because I certainly had no clue. And yeah. like I just hope that for future generations, I know we've talked about how social media and things make it more challenging mm. but also the fact that they'll have the awareness of mm. you know me coming home as a kid being like I don't feel well I have a pain in my tummy yeah. will register I think yeah. to a, a more contemporary parent I, I think I, I hope that as well because um, and one of the things that I know that you experienced was that pain in your tummy from a very early age and when I worked in children's services that was probably the most common presentation of anxiety. The majority of parents whether they knew about anxiety or not would come in and say you know, my child doesn't want to go to school anymore. They're saying they're sick every day. Or else they might say, um, actually, my GP sent me in here. I, I don't know what's wrong with them, but they're saying they're sick. Because anxiety is a real biological impact on our on our whole bodies. But when you think about the fight or flight response, which is what anxiety is, anxiety is where we feel there's a threat. And then we know that we either need to fight off that threat or run away from it. Our body doesn't need blood in our digestive system and in our stomach. It needs blood in our fingers and our toes. To run away. To run away or to fight. If <laughs> yeah. you're going to punch a saber-toothed tiger, tiger mm. in the head, then you're going to need a lot of strength in your fists. Or if you're going to run away, you need it in your legs. Yeah. You do not need it. don't need, need to it. be digesting food. You don't need to be digesting food. That's something that we do when we're relaxed and when we're maybe sleeping or uh, going for a gentle walk or something like that or just sitting around. So the blood drains out of our tummies. And that's where an awful lot of people with anxiety get real, can sometimes be nausea, it can Mm -hmm. be digestive discomfort, it can be wind or bloating, just a feeling like things aren't right because their body is constantly channeling and pumping that blood out to their extremities rather than keeping it in their tummies. And then you start to stress about the fact that that's happening. So Mm. I, for me, I wasn't able to connect the dots between my digestive issues and and anxiety, but Mm. what it did was make me more anxious because now I was trying to solve this problem that I couldn't, I couldn't tell the wood from the trees. So something that I find um, comes up again and again when I talk to people about anxiety is that the lack of awareness of how it can sort of creep up on you from experiencing stress. And I think so many of us are experiencing a level of stress that we don't even realise in this day and age. And, you know, you think it's come out of the blue or someone will say to you, what's happened? Or why why is anxiety? Why are you having a panic attack? And there's not that awareness of you know you can be from my experience I was probably at like a a six or a seven on a Mm. scale of one to ten and you know you wouldn't really have any symptoms maybe then and then it doesn't take very much to push up a little bit more Mm. and then suddenly I'm feeling very um anxious and I'm having these worried thoughts and these symptoms and thinking nothing this is just I'm crazy something it's come out of nowhere Mm. and and I feel the type of person as well who experiences anxiety again it's a really biological um difficulty so as soon as we have an anxious thought our body releases or our brain releases a jolt of adrenaline Mm. um and adrenaline makes us more likely so it narrows our attention so we focus in maybe on things that are more uh scary for us so if you're at say like maybe two or three on that anxiety spectrum of zero to ten and then you have one anxious thought and it releases that adrenaline, you become more focused then on maybe something else that isn't good. So then it might creep up to maybe a four and maybe again, you're not even knowing that it's creeping up to a four, but the more anxious you feel, the more adrenaline your body's producing and the more focused you become on the more drastic things. And then maybe it's going up and up and up to a four or five or a six, which is maybe where somebody might feel the real biological symptoms. And it's different for everybody. And then all of a sudden they notice that they're anxious. And then uh, there's a a model of of therapy, and we might talk about that in a while, but cognitive behavioral therapy. And they they talk about the metacognitive model of anxiety, which is where we go from being worried about something outside of us to then worrying about the worry itself. Oh my God, that is me all over. Mm. I was never afraid of, you know, in my body, and my mind, I felt as if there was a murderer outside my door mm-hmm. all the time or as if I was about to go up and give a presentation, which is really anxiety-inducing to me. And someone would say, well, there isn't a murderer outside. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make it any better. What I'm anxious about is the fact that I'm anxious and the fact that I'm feeling the symptoms, that it's the fear of the fear mm-hmm. got me more than anything. There was never anything tangible because you can rationalise something tangible. 
So that's just huge, isn't yeah, it? It's huge. And I think really understanding uh, anxiety as both a physical thing, but also as as an emotional thing is really important because like you're saying, you know, somebody can say, well, rationalize that, you know, this bad thing is very unlikely to happen. And that's helpful overall in reducing our kind of longer term levels of anxiety. But actually, when your body is pumped full of, of hormones and chemicals that have been released from anxiety, telling yourself that those bad things aren't going to happen are not going to get rid of the shortness of breath or the sensation that you're going out of control yeah. or, or telling yourself to be more positive telling yourself that kind to be more of positive shit wrecks my head yeah and it's grand in the long yeah. run to do all of those in tandem but actually the only thing you can do with anxiety in that moment when it's so high is to accept it and then own it own it <laughs> is to actually own it and go let oh, it happen I'm really anxious you know, I'm really yeah. anxious right now. And then be able to bring the, the conversation in our heads around to not what am I going to do to get rid of this, but how can I help myself maybe in this, just in this moment, forgetting about the next day or the next Exactly. It and it's and that's such a symptom of anxiety is to not be able to contain yourself in the moment and to think, um, what am I going to like this time yeah. next year? And, yeah. you know, it's just so hard to focus um, on on where you are right now yeah and you've just used that word contain again yeah and I suppose that's what we're trying to do and what we need to do as a society is to help young people develop the ability to contain their own feelings so that when they become adults they're also able to do that and if you think about containment as a concept it's like um, providing a container for a kid to pour their feelings in but it's a solid container, so it stops it sloshing out all over the place and washing all over their lives. Yeah. And I know it's a real kind of psychological concept, but it's so important. No, it's, because it's so visceral. Like, it's, you know, you need to let it out. It's mm. still valid. You're, you're worried. I find, yeah. not without going too much off tangent, I find that there's so much talk these days about thinking positive and this complete disregard for our worries or just mm. telling the voice in your head to shut up. And I find that if I try and deny my worries and my concerns, they get bigger because they, they're valid to me. Absolutely. Or like if, if it's a kid, I feel like, you know, if, if, if I'm a, a seven-year-old and I'm scared of going up to bed and maybe mm. there's a monster or something and to an adult, you're like, oh, don't be silly. Well, that kid does feel fear and it's, it is a big deal to them. Mm. So I, th- I feel like if you shove positivity down your throat and deny all negativity, it'll come back to kind of bite you in the arse. Absolutely. It totally does. Because when we invalidate either ourselves or other people, it doesn't help the emotion. Like you think about any emotion that you feel. If somebody's angry and somebody goes, oh, don't be ridiculous. Like, how the hell do you feel? Grand. So I'll just because I didn't know that myself. I'll yeah. just relax now because you've told me to. Actually, validating our emotions is one of the most helpful things we can do to ourselves or for ourselves. So, I mean, I do agree that there's some parts of how we think and how we feel that we need to challenge from time to time. So you change maybe what you can. But when you know that you can't change something and that actually it's destructive for you to try and do it, then the only other option is acceptance. And also we're being sold this message nowadays as well that we should all be well and we should all be happy and we should all be totally grand because life is great. And if you're not feeling that, then you need to do something about it. Life is freaking hard and it's full of suffering and pain and difficulty as well as more enjoyable experiences and, and happiness. And actually, we need to be more realistic in our perspective. Yeah, and we can't kind of cut ourselves off from negative experiences. You know, it's it's actually only then that you get perspective as mm-hmm. well, I find. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about um, the parts of the brain that are involved in anxiety. So for me, it was like a revelation when I learned that you know, in, in terms of the science of what's happening, that if, if I'm stressed and um, you'll probably explain it better than me, basically that the, the higher... Th- not. I don't know very much. What was happening was that the higher <laughs> thinking part of my brain, the prefrontal mm. cortex, which is where we have logic and reason, was being worn down over time. Mm. So uh, while I would have an anxious reaction to something and I think, oh God, I'm such a disaster, this is all my fault. In a way, it wasn't my fault because the stress had eroded the strength of my prefrontal cortex to such an extent that now the amygdala, which is the more primitive part of my Mm. brain, was firing off and it was kind of in the driving seat. And Mm. I think even if you can't do anything about it, knowing that that's happened makes you feel a little bit more like, okay, I can sort of stand back and and see that that's happened and it makes sense. Mm. So 
what talk to me about those different players in, in the brain so the amygdala is a really really important part of our brain when it comes to anxiety but actually all all emotions and it's at the top of our, our spine kind of at the base of our brain and it was one of the first parts of our brain to develop um, when we evolved to become humans so if you think about how our, our spine grew and when we were originally tiny little fishes swimming around in the sea our spine was one of the first parts of our brain to kind of develop um, or the top of our spine so the amygdala is where it's a very primal kind of centre of our of ourselves and it's where a lot of our feelings are based um, and it regulates uh, emotion or it helps to regulate it. But actually the other thing that regulates emotion is, is our prefrontal cortex, if you said. So that's at the top of your head, kind of up behind your forehead. I'm so glad I got that right. So that's that's the bit where, as you were saying, it's, it's responsible for our executive functioning. Yes. So they are the higher order thinking skills, planning, decision making, rationalizing, um, turning things from thought into reality, um, all of those kinds of things. And we need it on a day-to-day basis to uh, to do everything, really, to live our lives in as, as successful way as we can. But what happens when we're feeling very anxious is it's almost like the amygdala takes over. Nothing can get through. If you imagine, this isn't how the science works, but mm-hmm. if you can imagine it, um, a message being sent from your spine and it's trying to get through to your brain but it gets caught at this like big trap door at the top of your spine and the base of your brain okay so it can't it's coming through it's almost like it's seeping in under the door um but our brain isn't able to make sense of it in the same way as if that door was just open and in the same way then when our prefrontal cortex is receiving all these messages that something isn't quite right it's not able to send a clear and coherent message back yeah because again that door is is almost clo- is closed so in order for and I, I think the thing is it's awareness really I mean with anything when it comes to our mental health awareness is a big part of it and actually there's another book called The Chimp Paradox oh I loved it ah, I, yeah. I quoted that yeah. so much in The Confidence Kit actually yeah. it's just and that's again where I got the whole idea of um not denying your worries your negatives kind of letting them run out like a chimp until they exhaust themselves exactly so we all have to recognize and be aware that this is the kind of chimp part of our brain if you like and that the only way we can't change that the only thing we can do is recognize when it's in action and then help ourselves to like gradually maybe open the door little by little little by little so that our our thoughts and our feelings and um and everything else all of those messages are able to be transmitted to the part of our brain that needs to hear it so that they can decide what to do about it more effectively what do you think most people get wrong about anxiety you know we spoke about all those things online things that inspired me to write owning it which were preying on our vulnerability of you know do this one thing and you know you won't feel anxiety tomorrow what do you think we're getting wrong I think one of the first things is that we think that there should be a cause for our anxiety. Sometimes there's a cause, sometimes there's not. Sometimes the anxiety itself is the cause of the anxiety getting bigger and bigger and more out of control. Um, So the first thing is actually trying to understand um, where your anxiety is coming from. I think that's important and it's a valuable piece of work to do once the anxiety is a little bit more under control. So I think, yeah, the first thing is actually uh, validating our own emotions. I think that's a really, really important part of of responding to our own suffering, whether that's anxiety or not. And if I had have come to you at the time and told you the story of me sort of leaving the job and feeling like I couldn't really cope what would you have said to me? Would that have made sense to you? That would have made total sense. I mean, whenever something happens in our lives that's a little bit stressful, and stress we tend to associate with negative things. We tend to associate them with bad stuff that happens. But there can be good stresses as well. So stress might be moving house or um, starting a new job if it was one that you really enjoyed as well as Mm -hmm. one that you didn't enjoy so much. It can just be about change. So if anybody came to me and said, well, actually, I'm managing this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing, I'd be thinking well you know what I see people who are really under stress just because of one of those things okay. it makes makes total sense why um why you would be feeling anxious even if you'd never felt anxious before that point so one of the main things that we're doing wrong is not validating or letting ourselves validate our yeah. anxiety yeah not exactly not validating not telling ourselves that okay this is this is a feeling that we have and that feeling is valid and it's there for a reason whether we understand the reason or not and that what we need to do is help ourselves because so often we say whether we're feeling low or we're feeling anxious or feeling angry or feeling sad we might say you know oh for god's sake just get on with it or that's a stupid way to feel I can't believe you'd feel that way and then we go into critical mode Mm. and if we're going into that mode with any of those feelings it doesn't make it better it just makes it 
worse, a lot worse. So the first thing that we can do to help ourselves is go, okay, this is happening. Yes. This is happening to me and it's okay that it's happening. This is just a normal part of the human experience is to go through these really difficult times and to feel these difficult things. Yeah, that's just, it was, I feel like everything changed for me when I was willing to own that vulnerability and sit there in the midst of panic and just let it happen. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I don't know if you would agree, but the only way to open that back door where the amygdala is blocking things is to let it do its thing for a while and then maybe put yourself into a situation that's going to be soothing and relaxing so that the chimp or whatever it is mm. in the amygdala calms down a little bit mm. and then so I, what I found I, I kind of learned this just from experience that I, I'd have these sort of waves of anxiety it wasn't necessarily one isolated panic attack it might be a week of of uh, anxiety where I'd, I'd maybe I'd have a surge of adrenaline and cortisol or whatever and then the panic thing would be over but I'd still be feeling really fragile and really vulnerable and because my thoughts were still heavily tinged with fear and the amygdala was still ruling the roost and I started to recognize that it would take a couple of days before that would rebalance mm. again and and then I started to realize okay when it's happening it's off If you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC your lip look whether it's subtle or bold can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at juvederm.com today That's j u v e d e r m.com Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. But I know that it usually rectifies and comes back. So I started to be like, look forward to that and know and trust that that would happen. Mm. But I think the biggest mistake I made and not to be hard on myself but I think I probably would have gotten to a place of owning it a lot sooner had I not been trying so desperate not to feel it Mm, and trying so desperately not to avoid stress or Mm. isolate myself from things that would give me anxiety because if I had have actually done that I would have avoided life itself Mm, you know mm. so I think one of the biggest things that I always tell people is like you say just to here I am right now Mm. and to normalize that experience like stress is normal anxiety on lots of different levels is normal and it's human and it is what makes us human is being able to feel those things and it might be pleasant but it's really normal and it's okay to feel that way not okay when you're in the middle of a panic attack and you're feeling like oh my god my life is over I don't want to be this way I don't want to live like this but actually I think it's really important to remind ourselves that these are feelings. They're not going to kill us. They're a normal part of our world. And and even if that's all we just say to ourselves in that moment, it's just accepting it in the moment that that experience is your experience and that it's not always going to be that way. And I think, I mean, one of the, the helpful things over time when it comes to managing anxiety is that cognitive behavioral therapy piece. Yeah. But so often like you're saying you know it's 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 wrapped up in in you being able to get in contact with your your prefrontal cortex and with your ability to uh, plan and make decisions and to think about things and rationalize and all that and if that chimp part of our brain is jumping up and down we can't do that so even if you can just ask yourself one question when you're in that really anxious moment and that's 
what would be helpful like not trying to change anything not yeah. trying to change the experience what would be helpful in this moment if I can't think of anything and I want to just tell myself to just sit down on the floor do that if I think I'll have a hot shower that might be helpful do that but just that one question what's helpful in this moment and it in might change moment. moment to moment to moment to moment but just even if it's just giving yourself like a quick hug yeah if you're not able to access that 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 part of your brain that rationalizes more so just even if you can keep that one thing in mind or as you say let the chimp exercise let it run around go in lie down on the floor work it out of your system go for a run or write it down do. write then, it down yeah. let it out talk to somebody if there's a trusted person that you can talk to something that i found really helpful in terms of owning my own anxiety was understanding the negativity bias and i know we already spoke about I don't see it as totally useful to completely deny negativity, but can you just give me your um, expert perspective on what that is and, again, how normal that is? Because I think people feel under pressure to be positive and they feel like there's something wrong because, obviously, with anxiety, it's like you have a magnifying glass on on everything negative. Mm. Can you tell me a bit what you mean by the negativity bias? Because I have two ideas in my mind and I'm not sure. So, for me, it's all about how... And all, in all through history, we've been primed to go negative and, and to go back to the hunter-gatherer times that you had to place more importance on negative things mm. happening because that could mean you would get killed by a line or whatever. Mm. And so in, from what I've read, um, we place an awful lot less significance on positive things and it takes quite a few positive experiences to sort of balance out a negative. Mm. Um, and just understanding that that's how the brain works and that thinking negatively is actually a survival kind of thing Mm. as well made me feel also like I could let myself off the hook a little bit more Mm. so all these little things that were making me feel like I was normal and again just normalizing the anxiety Mm. so that's for me what the negativity bias yeah yeah no that makes sense and there's a little bit of not conflict in schools of thought but uh, one of the pieces around um, the negativity bias is that uh, there is a part of our brain that encodes more positive memories and that can be something that if it's um if we're able to activate that part of our brain is actually uh, something that makes us more resilient. So if we practice actually remembering and drawing positive memories to mind over time, it can be a way of then accessing those memories more easily when we notice we're being more negative. But you're totally right in that our brain is primed to look for threat because you think about it back, you know, when we were more primitive there was one aim to our existence and that was survival and then through reproduction the survival of our our genetic I don't know offspring I suppose (laughs) Um, so it was all about survival so if that was the biggest thing that we were uh, trying to achieve of course we're going to be more primed to look for things that are going to stop that from happening so our brain is constantly scanning the environment and it's constantly aware of threats or what we feel might be threats to our survival and as we've evolved that's become different it's not so long no any longer about physical survival it's sometimes about emotional survival like surviving in the sense of okay I feel like a good enough person Mm -hmm. and for a lot of people they might be scanning their social environments their emotional environments and their brain is picking up on this information and paying attention to the things that are emotionally threatening um so things that maybe make them feel like a crappy person or like they're not good enough or like they're not strong enough or capable enough or whatever it is um so yeah, so there's a really, I, I think it's really important what you're saying there, that our brain is, is is still really primal. Like we think of ourselves as these very evolved creatures, Mm-mm. but actually our brain is a very, very primal part of us. And while it's capable of doing amazing things, it's also capable of kind of getting stuck yeah. um, in responding to, in the way that we, we would have responded a long, long time ago. But we've just replaced a hyena or a, a bunch of lines with you know a boardroom scenario exactly that kind of thing. yeah criticism from our boss or a friend not liking us very much or not being popular enough or not being a good enough parent or not being a good enough daughter whatever it is there's always something there what do you think from my story were the emotional threats that I was obviously picking up on without being like consciously aware of at the time when I in when I moved job do you think it was like not feeling like I could handle the work what would you see there well I think when we go through change whether it's positive or negative um it takes away our our security and our sense of self so for example I might feel like okay well I'm I'm a good enough person okay but then I I change something around so maybe I'm in a new environment so I'm working with people that I don't know or I'm doing a job that I haven't done before So that sense of myself, that belief that I'm a good enough person is threatened a little bit by just even going into a different situation. Now, maybe 
all of the things in that environment I'll get feedback from my boss that I'm doing a great job I'll get uh, you know feedback from the new people that I've met that they like working with me um, but I suppose our brain is constantly scanning for things that might threaten us so if that's the thing that's going to be threatened so it might have been just the, the, the lack of security you felt yeah. in that space just a lot of change in one go um, and, and I don't know I mean you'll you probably be able to trace back can you remember what it was that you were you were kind of feeling or thinking about at the time I remember it was just such a physical reaction mm. and straight away it's like my body knows before I it's, I always say there's two selves you know there's a part of me that hasn't quite caught up with it yet mm. um, and I felt I think initially I felt um, like I'd made a mistake and I was being, I was berating myself for having made a mistake or having made the wrong move mm. in my career. Um, and then it was just this massive feeling of shame that I wasn't able to handle it like I thought everyone else would be able to handle mm. it. Mm. So those two things, even just in that bit, and I know there was probably an awful lot more that came from that. So one part of your you're kind of thinking about yourself and your career and being maybe successful or being good enough in terms of where you were going. That was being really challenged. That mm. idea like I'm in the I'm in the wrong place for me or I've I've made a mistake. And then the other bit there that you mentioned about not being resilient enough. I should be able to cope with this. I should be able. Yeah. That's the, the that's the biggest mental block I think for me. Um that only really probably in, in the last year I've started to come around to is my ideas of strength and my mm. ideas of weakness and I I used to when one of my anxiety was so bad and I was hanging out of my mom's arm because I was like a child again I just kept saying to her like it's like I this sounds so dramatic but like I was born with like a broken wing or something there's mm. just always something a little bit amiss and I always said that was weakness mm. and I don't know why but I guess lately I'm starting to see my willingness to embrace that as actually my strength yes absolutely and that's been like just such a life changer yeah you know and stop seeing myself as again it comes back to the social comparison thing of like this person could handle it or looking at my friends who you know their jobs were so intense and I and I was thinking I couldn't cope with that or I was watching tv and looking at characters in fictional worlds thinking I couldn't cope with that Mm. and I was projecting everything onto everyone else and thinking I'm shit they're they're great they're capable I'm not Mm. and Maybe it was just that my body was aware was aware enough, or maybe there was just such a strong intuition there that my body could say to me, "This isn't right for you." Whereas maybe someone else wouldn't present with any symptoms of anxiety and then later on fall down in a heap and mm-hmm. have an issue. So I had to sort of learn to respect my DNA mm-hmm. again, and you know, yeah, really stop being so hard on myself about the weakness thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's such a it's such a hard thing to. It really is. And it's something, you know, we we get a lot of, well, we learn a lot, I suppose, when we're growing up about about what we think vulnerability is or what we think weakness is and what it's like to be strong or, or good or bad, whatever it is, how we define things. There's a woman called Brené Brown. Oh, I don't love know, her. Love her, yeah. And she I actually only watched her TED Talk again last night. Yeah, yeah the, that is just... Once you get that in your head, yeah. I think. Yeah, and actually that's the the meaning of vulnerability in a way is is being able to be honest about what we're feeling with ourselves and with other people if that's appropriate and, and, and safe for us. But certainly with ourselves, being open to ourselves and our, and our own experience. And there's so much in what you're saying there about how you judged yourself mm-hmm. when you became anxious um, and when you felt anxious and judged yourself as being not capable or not as capable. And that drove more anxiety. That drove more anxiety, exactly. So if you think about going back to kind of making sense of those experiences you had, being in a situation that for anybody would be challenging because of all the change that was in it, and then your mind kind of reacting in that way where you judged yourself and invalidated what you were experiencing, that generated even more anxiety. And it just grew and grew and grew and grew. So it might start off with a couple of different things, and then it's, I suppose... It's about learning how to respond to ourselves and learning that it's not our fault that we feel this way um, and that it's okay to be open about that. Um, mm. I think that's a really, really important journey. But it's hard. Like, it's really feckin' hard. It's really hard, yeah. Talk to me about the three states of being, is it that you say, that we exist in these one of three mindsets that you talked about, threat and... Um, 
Oh, yes. Oh, I love this. Okay, yeah. so this is from um, a model of therapy called self-compassion therapy. And they talk about um, the three circles. So uh, this is just something that I use, I suppose, as a self-care tip, but it's also something that people might teach a client if they're coming to them to learn a bit more about being self-compassionate. Um, there's a woman called Kristen Neff who is the mother of self-compassion. She does a huge amount of research and she's lots of stuff that are available. Um, but we exist in, in three different drives according to self-compassion theory. So one is the threat drive, one is the motivation drive and one is the soothing drive. So if you think about three kind of uh, different circles, my threat circle uh, is a red circle. When I envision my threat circle, it's red. When I envision my motivation uh, circle or my motivated drive, it's kind of a blue or a green colour. And then my soothing um, circle is sometimes green, sometimes yellow, sometimes just a nice colour that I'm drawn to. Um, so I've actually printed these out and I have three circles then pinned up uh, on my office wall. And the threat circle, um, when the threat drive is activated, we feel things like fear, anger, um, anxiety, uh, sadness, um, kind of lots of negative emotions. And it happens when we're under stress and when we're feeling threatened. So when we're anxious, I suppose, but also when we're feeling other negative things. Um, and the idea of this is that we can then help ourselves identify when we are in the threat drive so that we can get ourselves out of that and into either the motivated drive or into the self-soothing or soothing drive. When I'm in my threat drive, I know how my body feels. I know that I feel tense. I know that I might get headaches from tension. I know that I might not be able to concentrate and I know that I'll be feeling all these emotional things as well. And when I can flag that and go, wait, I'm in my threat drive here, it then kind of drives me to take action and go, okay, I just need to get out of this. I need to get out of the threat drive. Now, the thing is that you can get out of it for a second, you can get out of it for 30 seconds or an hour or for a whole week or whatever. One of the things I did at the start was put an awful lot of pressure on myself to get out of the threat drive and stay out of it. Yes, and that is then an issue for me as well. It's like trying to avoid the anxiety. Exactly, and it's such a normal, like the threat drive might not be the place I want to stay for very long, but it's a really normal part of just being in a really busy, sometimes stressful world and life. It's about recognising it and then going, what can I do now in this very moment to help myself feel more motivated? Or usually if I'm in the threat drive, it's to help myself feel just a little bit more soothed. Okay, so that could be something practical like... So I, um, it's it's really very different for lots and lots of people. Okay. I love essential oils. So I have like a little bag of them and uh, I have some on my desk at work. I have some in my bedroom. I have them in all the important places that I am. And even just like smelling something that I find really grounding okay. or changing the channel in my head. If my chimp isn't jumping up and down and I'm able to access that prefrontal cortex, changing the channel and remembering a happier time or even just for 30 seconds, just putting my hands on my heart telling myself I'm going to be okay okay just doing that and saying it over and over again um sometimes even just getting up and having a herbal tea um or like watching some TLC or say yes to the dress which is my soothing zone (laughs) exactly that doing whatever it is but actually it's really helpful the thing I love about the cards is how visual they are yeah and so people, how, should, people should make up these cards and print them off. Absolutely, absolutely. I think they're a great tool because sometimes when we're in that threat zone, it can be really hard to think of the things that we need to do. And there can also be that little voice in your head that's going, oh, well, even if I do this, it's not going to work. Yeah. That's a voice that kind of you have to kind of wave hello to and go, oh, there you are. You're trying to keep me in this threat circle. I see. I see yeah. what you're trying to do here. <laughs> well, OK, well, maybe you're going to achieve that. Maybe you'll keep me there in like 10 seconds time or 10 minutes time. But for this one second, yeah. I'm getting okay, away so from it can you. be as little as a five second something that soothes you, whatever it is for you. I think it's really important for people to realize that. I know that I felt I was reading a lot of articles on the likes of Mind Body Green mm. and it was people getting up and having their matcha lattes and chanting at 7am and great if that works for you but it didn't work for me and I felt under pressure then that I wasn't doing good enough at yeah. trying to manage my anxiety yeah. so mindfulness to me is whatever you can do that really puts you into like a nice sort of state of being so if that's watching some trashy tv so be it exactly if it's watching watching trashy tv if it's doing something for 10 seconds or half an hour time wise it doesn't have to be yoga it doesn't have to be a run it doesn't have to be drinking a really healthy smoothie it doesn't have to be any of those things and it does not have to be for a long amount of time any time where you are being mindful is better than not being mindful at all and i say mindful 
as in just helping yourself maybe feel a little bit better is what I mean so even if that's just 10 seconds or 10 minutes or 10 hours of TLC um whatever it is and for however long it's better than not doing it okay um for people who I I mention CBT all the time and I probably don't give it enough Uh, of an explanation but for someone who's listening to this and who's struggling with anxiety and thinks this sounds like something I should be considering can you just explain what it is and how it differs from other types of therapy and and why it's particularly beneficial for anxiety sure so uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is um, a really popular form of therapy and it's popular because it's one of the most evidenced ways of uh, of managing a load of different mental health problems and when I say evidence-based therapy I mean uh, therapy that has been that has undergone really rigorous research. So CBT for anxiety has been tested on literally at this point, probably hundreds of thousands of people. And we know that it is um, as effective as an antidepressant medication in terms of treating moderate anxiety. And we know that it is the most scientifically proven uh, effective way of treating anxiety overall. Now, I'm not saying that other approaches don't work. I have used other approaches as well as CBT. Um, you can bring in different aspects when, like with your therapist, it doesn't have to be pure CBT, right? You can bring in elements of it. Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I, I would practice using lots of different modes of therapy and I would bring those in. So CBT is really a skills-based approach. It's about learning how to link how we think to how we feel And when I say feel, I mean emotionally, but also in our bodies and then how those things link into our behavior. And if we can learn to untangle what CBT calls those vicious cycles of getting caught in thinking, feeling and behavior loops that aren't really helpful for us, we then have the opportunity to intervene at the thought level, at the feeling level and at the behavior level to stop the vicious cycle from from happening over and over again. So it's really about learning skills Um, that help us to do that so the first thing that you might learn would be to uh, get in touch with your thinking Uh, and that's easier said than done you know it can be a a hard and a tricky thing to do but it's also a very practical thing and there's skills that you can use to help you do that and then you can help to learn skills that will uh, help your body to feel a little bit better and help your emotions to feel a little bit better and then to change your behavior as well so it's not feeding that loop constantly so that's really the nuts and bolts of CBT. It, it is a skills-based package, and that's why it's helpful sometimes when it's done in tandem with other yes. more emotionally focused therapies. Is there a particular CBT exercise that you would recommend people sit down and do after they've listened to this podcast? Um, I think uh, if you can go online and just Google thinking errors okay. and become really familiar, there's um, a, a load of different free worksheets available. We tend to do about 10 different thinking errors and we all do them. Okay. Yeah. It's the very first step of starting to track your thoughts. A big part of CBT is learning to get in touch with that little voice, that little chip that's jumping up and down mm. in your head all the time. So something could be that you're catastrophizing. Exactly. So I, in, in owning it, I have a chapter on, a small chapter on this, and I call them common mind traps. Yes. If, yeah. If They're that, thinking errors. So catastrophization okay. or catastrophizing yeah. is one of them. Uh, shoulding and musting, that's another one. We're great at doing that, I think, here in Ireland, telling ourselves we should be or we shouldn't okay. be or we must do or we mustn't. Um, things like minimization or magnification, making something bigger or smaller or smaller or bigger than it really is. Um, what else is there? Personalization. Yeah. So taking something as a, as, as a personal thing. Yeah. So if someone's in a bad mood around me, mm. I will think that I've, it's You've to do with me. To and it's yeah. not all about you, Caroline. I have to keep telling myself. So yeah. So, so I think from what you're saying, it, it very much aligns with my approach that the first most important thing with anxiety is to accept where you are right now Mm. and then before you even get onto the business of addressing it so I I call it the assess and address technique and Mm. we're very much in the assess part of it where we're looking at what anxiety is how it functions why it's so normal Mm. and you might not think of it as a tool but just understanding those processes Mm. understanding the way we're primed to go negative understanding that maybe you're in your threat Mm. is the threat circle Mm -hmm. or understanding you know, that maybe you're personalizing or catastrophizing, just being able to label those things and sort of step away from yourself is probably a really good starting point with anxiety before you start throwing yourself, throwing the kitchen sink at it in terms of different treatments. Yes, absolutely. And it's in, if you go to therapy, that stage is called psychoeducation. So it's learning about your psychological experience. And again, 
it's one of the brilliant things about the internet. There's some great websites out there. Um, so there's the Centre for Clinical Interventions or CCI. I think it's .au. It's mm-hmm. an Australian website. I like MindTools.org. MindTools yeah. is great. And Psychology Tools is another one. They're yeah. all brilliant. They're free evidence-based I suppose good resources one of the things we were talking about earlier is is about being careful where the information is coming from Um, and it it is important to know that the information and those psychoeducation tools are are accurate I suppose and are helpful Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah that's definitely the first stage and before I let you go um, what would you say to someone who is really afraid of the fear who they're afraid of the anxiety itself um what would you say to reassure them because that's what i needed to hear yeah there's a part of me there's the one bit that wants to to reassure and then there's the other bit that goes i know that the only way to change is to go through pain yeah so i suppose it's about there's something about this experience of pain whenever we're experiencing it that's trying to teach us something. So allowing yourself to learn through this experience. And I know for somebody going through a bad yeah, attack you don't want to hear anxiety, it. that's not what yeah. you want to hear. And it's too hard. But it's the reality and it being willing to face down the barrel of it yeah. is the only way. I, I, I always say um, the only way around fear is through it. It's through it, yeah. But I also think that it's important to remember that this too shall pass. It might feel like they're anxious 24-7, but in reality there might be 30 seconds, even every hour, where they're not anxious. And they're not thinking about that. And they're not thinking about that, Mm. exactly. These feelings are temporary states. They sometimes feel like they're permanent when we're feeling badly, but they fluctuate and they come and they go. And it's really important to remember that it will end. At some point, it will end. It will end and you will own it. You will own it. <laughs> yeah. That was Dr. Claire Kambamesu. I hope you enjoyed the second episode of my very own podcast. I hope that it's resonating with you. If you're enjoying it, please share. Please let me know. Send me a message on Instagram or Twitter. Um, and if there's anything specific that you have in your head that you'd like to ask or a topic that you really think should be covered, please do let me know um, because this is my show. So I have the freedom to do to do whatever the hell I want. And thank you so much for joining me in, as I called it last week, and I'm going to do it again, the Owning It Revolution. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.